There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you back on the Butterfield Effect. Remember, you can listen to this on Spotify as well. We are there and on iTunes if you're stuck in the early 2000s. Ladies and gentlemen, on today's show, we're talking to Greg Doucette. Coach Greg, absolute legend. IFBB pro bodybuilder out of Canada. Uh, a lovely, lovely dude. Makes great content online. I've been consuming his content uh, for a long time. We talked everything health and fitness. We talked about transgender athletes. A great topic for a people just uh, um, converse about and freak people out about every time you talk about it. Uh, we talked about uh, weight loss and how the current uh, issues in the world with the virus uh, is, fe- is affecting people, particularly young people, and how that's going to affect them over time. We talked about ways that you can motivate yourself to lose weight, motivate yourself to exercise and become a better version of yourself. Now, I will put this out there, ladies and gentlemen. I recorded this episode at 7 o'clock in the morning. So poor little Butterfield was slurring his words like he was pissed, but I promise I wasn't. I was sober. I was smashing a couple of vegan tears, coffees, um, and uh, you can buy that on my website. Uh, it's a great mug. Uh, and, oh, by the way, new merch drop coming uh, in a couple of weeks, 13th of October, I believe. Uh, that's not a couple of weeks. That's this week or next week. Who knows? Sometime. Um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, great chat with Greg. You can check out his uh, YouTube channel. He puts up a lot of information about a myriad of, of, of topics from bodybuilding to training, exercise, weight loss, uh, to current things that are happening in the world and, and in the fitness community online. Um, I highly recommend you subscribe to his channel. I have for a number of years now. A number of years now. See, still slurring my words, even though it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, here is my chat with Coach Greg, Greg Doucette. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg said, how are you, sir? You're well? What's happening in your part of the world? I'm fantastic. Summer's just winding down. The weather's starting to get colder. I'm not happy about that, but I'm still getting out, enjoying whatever's left of the weather, writing books, doing videos all the time. I watch your channel, so this is fun for me to uh, speak to you in person. This is cool. Fantastic, mate. And um, how is your uh, your surroundings going with the with the lockdowns? Are you in lockdown? Are you out? What's happening in your in your area? It's so frustrating. It seems like every time it's over, it's supposed it's 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 going to be over. Then they start it up again. Literally, my birthday, September fifteenth, it was supposed to be done. No more friggin' masks and all this bullshit. And then they changed the said nope we're gonna extend it again and so there's a bit more of these outbreaks or whatever i mean it's not that serious like there's not that many of them happening but they just keep shutting it down every time and i'm like well obviously something's gonna happen they open school back up again so it's frustrating but it's not bad at least i can go to the gym it's like it's open it's just you got to wear the the mask it's not horrible yeah, we're in a very similar position. We hadn't been locked down at all. I'm in a place called Newcastle, which is about two hours north of Sydney, and uh, we hadn't been locked down for the entire, um, you know, duration of the pandemic. 
And uh, 10 weeks ago, we got put in lockdown one Friday afternoon. It was said over the radio, it's going to be put in lockdown. And I was like, oh, I was at a uh, garden nursery buying plants. I was like, oh, shit, we better buy a couple extra plants because it looks like we're going to have nothing to do for the next couple of months. And uh, thankfully, we did because we're still in lockdown now. Um, we won't be allowed out until you're double vaccinated. So it's uh, it's it's a very strange environment here in Australia at the moment. Everyone's um, a bit pissed at the government, but... I mean, it is what it is at the end of the day. Unless you're going to have a massive uprising, there's not much you can do, but particularly when both sides of the political spectrum, are, uh, they have the same ideology when it comes to uh, treating the coronavirus. So it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, we have the same thing. I just literally got my passport card thing today saying double vax and all this stuff just because I like to travel. And so, I mean, there, there's a lot of controversy. Like one side says we should do it. The other side hates it. And it's like, where do you go? What are you going to do? It's kind of like your arms twisted. You kind of have to get one because if you don't, well, if I want to go to a bar, if I want to go to the movie theater, if I want to go to a gym and I need a, a double vax, what am I going to do if I don't have it? Just sit at home all the time? So you're almost yeah. forced, but not forced. It's 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 a big one, and, and we've seen in Melbourne uh, uh, last week massive protests and uh, clashes with the police between construction workers um, and and the police, and pe- they they are just filthy that they have to have the vaccine to go to work, and I think I think a lot of the people there, given the opportunity and given the information and. And I'm I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any means. I think, listen, if you've got a compromised immune system, then this this vaccine's really going to help you, and that's fantastic. Um, but the people are mad because they have to basically to make a living, they have to get a a medical uh, procedure. And I think I I get where they're coming from, um, particularly when in Australia we don't have enough vaccines at the moment. To, for everyone to get one. A lot of people, I, I was booked in, thankfully I've got an earlier one uh, in a couple of weeks, um, but I was booked in for like 12 weeks. I had to wait to get one, the first shot. So, you know, people are struggling to get it. They give you a date you have to have it done by and if you don't have it done by that date, you can't go to work and basically too bad. That's their attitude. Wow. And that's tough, wow. you know, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's unreal. It's not like that here. Honestly, here, if you want to get a shot, easy like there's tons left like they're almost paying well actually in one province they're paying people 100 bucks to go and get the shot like here you go you know that's how many we have for a while it took to get the first shot it took a while to get it but once you got it now it's easy so anyone that wants one they can get one super easy i think there was um it may have been in the state somewhere they were giving people was it burgers or they were giving them some type of fast food <laughs> if they would go and get the vaccine now a, a lot of people may not be aware but one of the um highest comorbidities or one of the most um effective uh, in a negative sense is obesity and the um the illnesses that come from that probably not a great thing to be giving people uh to improve their immune system fast food fatty foods and not so much fatty foods but very high caloric foods when you're thinking of a burger that might be you know this big and that's all people can pretty much eat for that meal but they're having two three of them that type of thing a lot of people refuse to talk about the fact that obesity is killing a lot of people in this pandemic you have spoken about it i have spoken about it what what are your thoughts on the reaction to people's fear of speaking about obesity when it comes to this whole period over the last two years. 
Well, personally, I think that there's more people dying from obesity than from COVID. If you actually look at the stats and you look at the long-term implications, you might say, well, no one's really dying of obesity now. Well, no, not now. But if you take a 10-year-old and they're sitting at home, they're not exercising, they grow up and they stop training, they stop exercising, they gain weight. And the studies, I mean, it's quite clear that people are becoming more overweight, more obese right now than any before in history. There's such a spike in obesity. Those illnesses that come like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, that's going to happen 20 years from now. So what we're going to see is 20 years from now, because of this pandemic, all these people are going to be getting heart attacks, diabetes, and dying early from something that could have been prevented now. If we focused half as much on treating obesity as we do COVID, we'd be saving so many lives 20 years from now. It would be unbelievable. Mm. And, and if you take things like what is, what's happened during the pandemic, people locked inside, they're not allowed to go outside and exercise, gyms are shut. Melbourne, for example, I saw a, a stat on the news the other day, they will be let out of lockdown in a couple of weeks. But over the last two years, they've been in lockdown for 236 or 63 days. Massive. Gyms being shut for that uh, period of time. Now, I, I was an obese kid growing up. And for young adults getting into the gym, it's hard enough confidence-wise. You know, you're fearful of what people are going to think of you. And it's not until you go to the gym for a while that you realize that people just don't give a shit. They're just worried about themselves and their own vanity. And I think that this is going to be, as you said, 20 years from now, a massive uh, increase and spike in obesity cases and people battling that long-term illness, if you will. But if you are a young kid now, 18, 19, or even younger, and you don't have the access to the gym, it's not going to become a part of your daily routine. Like There's no coming back from this, or at least it's going to be very hard. Absolutely. It's, it's a long-term damage thing. Like I used to teach physical education. And if you don't get a kid at a young age to like phys ed, like to like being active in sports, it's very hard to get them into it later. If I see a kid for the first time and they're 13, 14 years old, they don't already like being active. They don't like sports. It's really hard to convince them to find something that they like. And those skills that develop when they're younger, that translate into being more confident and more likely to play sports. If you're athletic, you take part in phys ed when you're a kid and somebody throws any sport at you, let's go play beach volleyball. You're like, sure, I can do that. But if you're not active when you're younger, really hard to take that up. So seeing as people aren't being active in, in phys ed, like gym teachers are having, well, please. Sorry about that. You're gym right. teachers, they're, they're having to force people to, or sorry, they're having to teach their classes at a desk without the kids. They can't go next to each other, you know, in a bubble. How are you supposed to teach when you just stretch the whole time? You can't go near, let's play tag, but don't touch anyone. Like it's just not working. So these kids aren't going to experience that. They're going to sit home like we are right now with their kids and friends and playing games, doing all this stuff and not actually be physical. So they are definitely going to be, um, you know, struggling when they get older to find the activities that they like and enjoy and, and be active. Yeah, it's a real it's a real shame. I mean, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, we have to do it and, and perhaps we won't know the best way to handle this whole virus and whatnot. We won't know for another 20 years when we look back on it and, and realize what we should and shouldn't have done. But to give someone who perhaps, um, and maybe this isn't the best way to look at it, but to ha who has a weaker mindset, I know I did when it came to training and eating well when I was a kid, I had a weaker mindset and I think that's what led to me being overweight for a long period of time. If kids are given the opportunity, particularly as they get older, to say, well, I can't go outside because it's dangerous because I might get the, the virus, um, they just won't do it. 
and I, I think that parents will also have that opportunity. I know a lot of people in the street that I live in, they, they've been getting takeaway every night. Um, and, and, you know, you could probably have takeaway every night and still be relatively fit if you train your ass off and don't eat all day. But it, most people aren't like that. Most people aren't fasting all day or, or, or not eating, starving themselves all day and then having all their calories in one meal. So all these people putting on all this weight, now getting into the position where they're not moving around, not not doing any exercise, and then they get sick, this is where people are going to die. This is where people are going to get other illnesses, and it's going to combine into this absolute mess that, as you said, we won't see for another 20 years. And I don't see how, as a, as a species, I don't see how we, we come out of that. Is there anything that you can see that, that could change people's opinion on exercise and, and diet? I think honestly, we're doing it right now. We're doing the best we can. Like, think of it. I used to be a phys ed teacher. I taught a couple hundred kids in a year, maybe if I was traveling around. Now, over a million people watch my channel. So I have the same message. Like, try to find something you like and do it. Don't have crazy goals to be ripped. Get halfway there and just try to be the best version of yourself. Be as healthy as possible. These kind of messages, people watch them. Kids today, they watch more YouTube than they do TV. So they're watching these kind of podcasts and so on. And they're going to watch and learn, learn from us and then put it in their own lives so i i do think it's going to help just from the youtubers out there that's trying to do the good thing well maybe this is an opportunity to talk to people about their diet now i was um probably what six seven years ago i was about 134 kilos i'm not sure what that is in pounds uh probably close to 300 yeah 300 ish maybe I'm, i'm 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 six foot eight so um big 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 lump of bearded shit and I was basically like I was playing rugby league which is a form of rugby and I was you know doing a lot of exercise but also eating a lot and maintaining that weight so I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and they were talking about the keto diet I've also got a form of epilepsy I thought you know that might be two birds with one stone Um, keto has been used to treat uh, a lot of kids who uh, don't Basically, they don't react well with medication or it doesn't help. So I did that. I lost a lot of weight. I got down to 94 kilos, probably too much. I was probably too skinny. Um, I thought that keto was this magic bullet. And I thought it was like, oh, you know, you know, the fats, the carbs are the enemy, yada, yada, yada. It wasn't until probably two years later that I realized, for me, keto really works to drop weight, to cut fat, because it can control calories. It's really, it's an easy way for me to control calories. Is that something you would recommend? I know you have your cookbooks that are very popular, um, all about, well, not all about, the Annabelle cookbooks are not all about, um, you know, cutting all the calories out, but they're about, I think it's fair to say in a sense, controlling the amount that you're taking in. Would you recommend a keto diet for someone or would you recommend another way uh, to go about dropping the amount of calories that people are eating on a daily basis? Well, that's a great question. And the answer is the diet that's the best diet is the one that you can do and follow for the rest of your life that causes the least amount of suffering. So when you're, uh, for example, you're 134 kilograms down to 94, if you can maintain 94 and you're not starving, you feel good, you have energy and you're doing keto, then frig, stick with that. It's working. Don't change it. But if you're at 94 kilograms and you're like, 
I don't have any energy. I don't feel good. I'm craving things. I miss things. And after six months or a year, you abandon your diet and you go back to your old ways. You're going to regain all that weight. And usually, and then some, your metabolism can actually go down, lose some muscle and so on. So the diet that you think you can actually follow, that's the diet. If keto seems like no problem. I, I don't need carbs. I don't, I don't crave them. I, I don't have a problem. I would definitely say go for the keto diet. Now, me personally, there's no way I could do without my French toast, my popcorn. I just need my carbs. A lot of people are scared of carbs. They're, I call them carbophobes, but there's a lot of people that are scared of fat too. There's, there's so many people are scared of certain things. And any diet that to me is, is like you have to cut out a certain food group for a specific reason. It's to me, it's a fad diet. Doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means that it's not likely to work long-term. Keto diets absolutely work, but the main thing is it's calories in, calories out. So if you can eat keto, just the fats and proteins, and allows you your, your calorie intake to go down and you can keep it there, it, it's absolutely going to work. Whatever gets your calories down, that's what's going to work. That's why my cookbook works. There basically takes all the recipes of your, your normal food that you eat out there, pizzas, burgers, everything, lower the calories and lets you eat them for fewer calories. If you eat fewer calories and you're full, you're not hungry, well, the diet's going to work. So that's what I would say. Yeah. I think um, that's the issue with a lot of people when they start a diet. They are either, I think when I have done that in the past, I've gone, okay, I had this idea in my head that, okay, salad, that's what I need to have instead of lunch or whatever I was having. And this is when I was a kid. We weren't we weren't taught at school anything about calories in, calories out. Nothing. Like we weren't talked we weren't weren't taught about anything to do with that side of losing weight, which as time has gone on, for me it's been that's that's the that's the golden fucker ticket. That's that's obvious. You know, it's so obvious. But we weren't taught about anything like that. We were taught that fat is evil, it will kill you, and we were taught that you need to eat a really high-carb diet. And I think that's wonderful if you're training hard, if you're working hard, and um, fantastic if you're expelling those calories as energy, but a lot of people aren't. I mean, I, for a long period of time, yeah, I'd train for, for, for footy and all that type of stuff, but for the majority of the time, the daily calories I was taking in, I wasn't uh, expending. And I think that's that's the same for most people. They wake up in the morning, they go to work, they eat food, they get to three o'clock, they're exhausted, so they have some sugar, which might be a chocolate bar that might have 300 calories, then they have a big dinner and they go to bed. Maybe they have just some dessert as well and they've smashed out 2,000 calories. One of the things that I've struggled with recently is finding a calorie calculator and trying to work out how much I should be taking in. Is there a calorie calculator or is there a system that you have in place that you could recommend to people who are listening to this? So here's the problem. Calculators, they, they're all guesses. And I've actually recently just a video. It's not posted yet, but they're usually within four to 500 calories from 15. So say your basal metabolism, met metabolic rate is 1500. It might be 1100, 1000, 1900 or 2000. So if you plug in that formula and you try it, you might be way under eating or way overeating. So it's absolutely just a guess. So unfortunately, there's no secret to figuring out your calories. What you need to do or what I tell people to do is to weigh yourself in the morning. Track your weight, try to weigh yourself five times a week because we're going to forget five times a week and you take that median number. And so the lightest two days of the week, 
you erase those. The heaviest two days, you erase those. Well, here, I'm going to give you the finger at the end. But then you're left with that middle number. Write that number down. And then the next week, if that number goes down, then you're in a deficit. If it goes up, you're in a surplus. That allows you to know how many calories you should be eating. You don't want to lose more than about 1% of your body weight per week. So if you're 100 kilos, one kilogram. If you're 50 kilograms, you know, half a kilo. So if you're losing more than that, there's a good chance you're starting to lose a lot of muscle tissue, which is bad. We don't want to low, slow our metabolism. So by just tracking your weight each week and just trying to make it go down slowly, you can keep losing that weight. Also, the slower you lose weight, the better, the more likely you are to lose the weight and keep it off. You've probably seen that 600 pound loser or life or what's it called? 600 pound life loser. 600 pound life or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this one. These people are losing like 20 pounds a week sometimes there's baby Nikki <laughs> and so they can't keep that weight off it, it's just not realistic they lose all that weight it's amazing and then they gain it all back a year or two later so if you want to lose the weight and keep it off lose it slow I think people people have this this desperate need for things to happen quickly and I guess that's the fear People go, no, 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 I need to lose this weight now. I need to be fit for summer. or And they start in, you know, two months out from summer. How, how does one even, I guess it's a mindset thing really, isn't it? And that's the same with training. You know, you have to have that mindset of this isn't something that we do now. It's something we do for the rest of our lives or at least a long period of time. And that's sort of how I've changed my diet is I use keto to cut a few kilos and then I will go back to my regular diet where I'm eating carbs and I'm training and all that type of stuff. At the moment, um, I'm basically training in my garage I've got some crappy kettlebell that weighs 16 kilos. That's the heaviest one I have. It's it's everything sold out in Australia. I don't know if you guys have got the same issue, but that's all we've got. So a lot of body weight stuff. And I've started running. I've started um I started running and I thought, you know, I've always been a terrible runner, but I find that obviously, you know, cardio burns a good amount of calories and it wasn't the I wasn't able to burn the amount of calories I wanted to per session, if you will. So I started running and I spoke to one of my good mates and he said to me, mate, my, my mum's a triathlete and she said the best way to run is to add an extra two minutes per session or every second day, add an extra two minutes to your run. And so I've always been terrible, but I went from my longest being able to run without basically just going, this is, I feel terrible at, at about 15, 20 minutes to now I'm doing between 60 and 70 minutes every second day. And we're doing 11 kilometers now. That's that's where I'm at, at a, at a relatively good pace. I think it's about a minute, minute and um, 20 seconds a kilometer or whatever it is. Um, I, I feel like that is maybe a key that I've been missing at or missing on when it comes to weight loss, I haven't been doing enough cardio. I found myself, I was doing a, I was training in an MMA gym for a while and I was flat out like, you know, burning 1600 calories a session, but then I couldn't go and lift any weights. I feel like I was doing too much then. And I think where is, where is the sweet spot? Do you think where it comes to cardio, weight training, resistance training, and overall growth with recovery and, and those type of things. 
Oh, this is a great question. And I personally, I did triathlons for 13 years competitively. So I was on the swim team, running, biking, and I'm currently a cyclist. I, I compete in bike riding. So I do the bike riding and I do the weights. And I can tell you that if you do more of one, you get worse at the other. You can't be the best at both. So if I want to be like, I'm a professional bodybuilder. If I want to be my most muscled up, I can't do all the biking. It just won't work. And if I want to be the best cyclist and just compete at that, I can't bodybuild, but I can get 80% as good at both. So I can get, I can be almost as good at this and almost as good as that if I do them both. So I have to just settle and say, well, I'm not going to be as impressive as either, but I'd rather have that mix of both rather than a hundred percent here and nothing there. 80 and 80, it's a lot better Then really, truly to be uh, a long-term weight loss. The goal is to do cardio. People are underestimating how many calories they can burn during cardio in comparison to weights. Weightlifting burns hardly anything. Average person, 150 to 300 calories in an hour. Doing cardio, easy to burn over 300 calories in an hour. Very, just walking is going to happen. So what people are doing is they're lifting weights, which is great. It's building up more muscle. 10 pounds of muscle, going to probably burn about 80 calories you know, at, at rest, just to your, to your basic metabolism at rest. That's, that's good, but it's not as good as if you do an hour of cardio and you burn a thousand calories. So, yeah. and when you do cardio consistently, so you're running, you're adding two minutes every day, you can run 11 kilometers, 60 to seven minutes. That's really good. That's really fast running. It's probably what I would run myself right now. So it's, it's really good. So you're burning a lot of calories and you become a better butter burner. Had you have gone 60 to 70 minutes, say a year ago, you would have probably had to walk that speed. You wouldn't have been able to jog 11K. Maybe you only went six. So now that you're going faster, maybe you're burning double those calories. So in the same amount of time, you're burning double the calories. So what you need to do is do both the weights and the cardio. And for weights, if you train your entire body twice a week, that's enough. Literally two to two sessions a week is you could do your whole body twice a week, one session each time, and that's going to be enough. You'll probably get almost 80% the results as if you train every single day. It doesn't take as much. What takes a lot is to go from you're already really great to super great. To go from being, wow, you look good to, wow, you look amazing. That is the difference between eating the, the specific meals five times a day, getting in the protein and training everything and learning everything. It's to go from 80% to 100%. So for most people, you can get 80% of the gains. Just do your cardio, do your weights, and do the best you can. Hmm. I think that, as I said before, like a lot of people want to get that body now, and they and they they see these people on Instagram, TikTok, that type of thing, uh, with these amazing bodies and physiques. Do you think that steroid use is rife throughout the Instagram community? Do you think it's as common as I think it is? I I see a lot of people, and I go, that dude's juicing, or this dude's not, and not that I necessarily think it's a bad idea. I mean, if you want to pump yourself full of steroids, all the power to you. You know, if you want to look like a superhero, that's the way to do it. Um, if you've got a normal life, that's the way to do it. But <laughs> I think a lot of people see that as the goal. Like there's this young dude who trains at my gym and he is a very small dude. He trains every day, very skinny, one of a very slender sort of guy. And, you know, he wears all the gym shark stuff and nothing against gym shark, but a lot of their models, <clears throat> the male ones anyway, the female ones are all big, uh, big shoelers, but um, the male models are all just jacked, super jacked, just super athletes. And I don't see that dude hitting those goals without some sort of exogenous chemicals. Do you see it as as prolific as I do? 
I honestly think it's way more common than you think it is. So whatever right. you think the amount of people are, you're looking at the gym. I mean, I say it's pretty obvious that I'm not natural. I'm actually only on HRT. I have really good genetics, but even as a natural, I, it looked like I would have been hence. But for the most part, the people that are taking steroids or SARMs or growth hormone or all of those things, they don't look like me. They look normal or average. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. If they took steroids, why don't they look huge? Because they're taking steroids because they want to look better. So unfortunately, people a lot, think of it, half of this world is below average and half is above average. If you're below average and you take steroids, you might get to above average, but you're not going to get to absolutely ridiculously amazing. Those people are already above average. So the unfortunate thing is people think that steroids are going to turn them into me, for example. I'll be a pro. I'll be a bodybuilder if I just took steroids. They take them. And of course, it works. It helps, but not nearly as much as they were hoping. Most people get disappointed. They take the cycle and it works, but then that cycle ends and then they lose most of the muscle they gain. Then they're like, well, this sucks. I used to look good. Then they have to go back on it. So the problem with steroids, it's more so the addiction mentally at seeing yourself look so good and then lose that and then be like, I want that again. It is difficult. Do you think it's a, do you think it's a safe there's a, there is a safe way to do it? I remember and this is secondhand information from listening to someone else. I think it was maybe Mark Bell or someone like that and he was talking about that it's not steroids that is killing people, it's the the painkillers that go along with it. It's the lifestyle that goes along with it. Maybe that's what's causing the heart problems and and those type of things. Is that is that a fair statement do you think? Unfortunately, it's definitely both. So there's no way somebody could say, you know, all the abusing painkillers isn't going to shorten their life. And there's no way somebody can say that abusing steroids isn't going to affect their life as well. Both most definitely. Now, the higher your doses and the less cardio you do and the poor, the more poor your diet is, or if you're overweight, the more likely you're going to die even younger. Now, as far as is there a safe way to do it? No, not really. There's safer, but there's no safe. You can't just take something and be, I'm totally safe. However, if you're getting older and you have suppressed testosterone levels, like you're like, I'm 46 years old and I'm on hormone replacement therapy. So my doctor prescribes, I'm at 140 milligrams of testosterone a week. I take that every week and it's seen to be a safe level for me, not necessarily for someone, if you're 20 years old and it doesn't mean it's safe, but for me, it's safe. And actually having low levels of testosterone is seen to be more dangerous. It's actually unhealthy to have very low testosterone levels. So this puts me into a normal range of testosterone that most men would have. So for me, it's safe. I used to abuse steroids for 10 years as a professional bodybuilder competing. I did all the steroids, all the steroids. And so I was on massive cycles to get my blood work done. Lucky for me, I was very active, healthy, ate right. And my blood work didn't come back so, so bad. Not great, but not bad. But now that I'm only on HRT, when I go and get my blood work done, it, it looks fantastic. So luckily, I don't think I've had serious damage that's going to last for the rest of my life. But you really, you never know. Who knows? I might get a heart attack in 20 years or tomorrow or right now. You never know. Yeah. I mean, we we saw um, the passing of John Meadows a couple of uh, maybe a month and a half ago. And a lot of people put that down to a whole myriad of idea, you know, what he did throughout his life. We don't know why. Sometimes these things just happen. I mean, my my old man who's... 53, 54, 55, he had a heart attack. He's had two heart attacks now. And he was a professional athlete 20 years ago. Wow. You know, so it's sometimes just shit happens. Um, and 
I think that people just see people who take steroids as these big cheaters and they, they're going to kill themselves. And as, as to what you said, it's so common that it's just not the case that everyone who puts steroids into their veins is going to die. It's probably not a great thing for your body. It's probably not the worst thing. But as far as HRT is concerned, I am I have been of the belief for years that if you are over a certain age and your testosterone naturally starts to dip, it should be something you're taking. You see so many old dudes getting around that are just struggling and perhaps with the right hormone um, balance in their body, they may really benefit from that, particularly if you were an athlete and maybe you played a contact sport and you've copped a lot of head knocks. I know that has a bit of a, a correlation there with, with lower testosterone as you get into older age or even middle age. Um how do, you, do you think that is something that we'll ever see older dudes all getting on testosterone replacement therapy? I absolutely think so. And I think the problem is right now there's a stigma, negative stigma associated with people who are taking PDs. But then you have come people like me come out and say, hey, I'm on it. And then so people are like, well, he's on it. And if that one says they're on it and that one and it becomes normal. And if more like, say, famous people like actors, movie stars come out and say, I'm on HRT, it becomes normalized. I mean, think of it. women are on birth control pill. They're playing with their hormones to not get pregnant. No one bats an eye. Breast implants. Women can get breast implants. No one says, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you're inserting something under your chest. But if it's an ass implant, it's like, whoa, an ass implant? Yeah. That's a little extreme. But over time, we get used to these things. Now it's normal to tattoo your eyebrows and put filler in, inject stuff in your lips, have hair extensions and everyone's bodies are manipulated now, but it's normal. But I'm sure when, I mean, I'm not that old 46, but I'm sure when breast implants first came out and somebody had breast implants, it was like, really, you have, it It was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. But now it's like everyone has them. Well, not everyone, but you know what I mean? Well, I think the breast implants are fine. Like they're great because you can't grow that as a woman. I think the ass implants are where the issue is. It's because you, you can grow a big booty or a dirt box, as I refer to it, if you want, <laughs> uh, just by squatting a lot, squatting heavy, that type of thing, and growing your glutes. I think it's a bit of, I think people see it as a bit of a cheat. And they see it as like, oh, come on, mate, you know, you're you're being a bit dodgy there. That's a bit, you know, why don't you just do the hard yards or the hard work uh, and, and rather rather than just cheating the system, if you will. But on, on the topic of testosterone, I, I know we mentioned that we wanted to talk about this. Testosterone is quite rife throughout the human species, particularly in men, but even some uh, female MMA fighters. Uh, Alana McLaughlin comes to mind. She recently... Uh, uh, defeated uh, another lady who I can't remember her name, which is unfortunate. Good research for me. Uh, but she defeated Old Love, and uh, it happens to be that she is a transgender woman. Um, the second transgender woman that I'm aware of that's fought uh, professionally in MMA, uh, Fallon Fox being the other. What was your reaction to that fight, the defeat uh, from the the natural-born woman, if I can use that, uh, that uh, terminology? What was your reaction to that and... Um, what what do you feel about people who were born male fighting people who were born female? I think that it gives them a huge genetic advantage. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but I think that they're obviously born with a huge advantage over other people. It's like right now, if I say, "Hey, I, I should," I feel woman. I want to try. I want to. I want to switch. I want to switch. I want to be female. I'm feeling it inside. 
Two years from now, I start competing. There's no way that having abused steroids for 10 years, being born a man, having bigger bones is not going to help me win a fight. Doesn't mean I'll be a good fighter, but it's going to help me. So I don't think it's fair, but I can't blame them for doing it either. If they're going to let them compete, well, they're going to take that advantage, you know, just like in the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody says to me, hey, you can go to the Olympics and compete. I'm like, well, I'm in. You're going to be fighting against women. It's like. It's not my decision. I'm just going by your rules. I don't think it's fair. I think they should have their own category. If you're asking me, I would want transgender female. There you go. You guys compete, you know, you female, whatever you compete together. It's fair, even playing field, but without it, I just don't think it's fair. No. And and particularly seeing how she used to look when she was a man, like that was a dude, that was a big dude. And I'm not sure if she was a Marine or, or just a regular soldier, but she was a big dude, like scary dude. And, you know, when you see how someone used to be, you know that 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 image of that person still exists somewhere within within them. And to know that that's fighting against a lady who was quite small. Well, I mean, that you know, obviously the same weight range, but she wasn't this big, muscular-looking uh, individual. And to see them come up against each other, I mean, obviously it's natural to see. Um, men in the world look at that and go, "Hey, come on! You know, you, you you can't hit women. That's disgusting." Yada yada yada. I think that's where a lot of the uh, the disdain for this comes from, and I think that's natural. And I think that's understandable. When I made a video about it, and I got a I got heat from the trans community, um, basically suggesting that you know I'm a transphobic, and I get that a lot whenever I question anything to do with with transgender uh, ism, if you will, but. In reality, it's an opinion, and I don't need to be a person who's experienced, um, you know, the transition to have that opinion. I think it's 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 something that unfortunately a lot of people don't talk about the benefits of being a male for a long period of time. Whether it's you know the bone structure, the thickness of bones, the strength, um, the 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 strength of ligaments, but even too, and I I have no idea if this is scientific or not, but we. I spoke about before I mentioned that uh, dudes who have a lot of head knocks, which MMA fighters would have, uh, often find themselves lacking in uh, testosterone flowing through their system. I wonder if this lady having Alana having uh, testosterone throughout a system in her life has has had a neuroprotective uh, effect. I don't know if you know anything about that, but I, I'm just thinking about that right now. Maybe that has some sort of benefit for her over her opponents. Well, I have no idea, but I mean, I do know that she's going to have stronger bones and that's going to have right. more uh, protection of her brain than somebody who has smaller bones. So certainly going to be an advantage. And I'm just thinking of yourself, you're six foot eight and you are close to 300 pounds and you're still, you're a big guy. If you transition to female two years from now and try out for basketball team, I'm thinking you're probably not that bad. Even if you haven't played that much, you're already six foot eight. How many women are six foot eight? There's some, but a lot less. So having been able to grow even taller, because we know testosterone is going to help people grow. If you compare the average height for male to female, males are taller. So it's not just bigger muscles, it's actually a height advantage. So I don't know, people don't often mention that, but huge, huge advantage. And I, I like the point you brought up about um, we might be talking about this. It doesn't mean we're against trans. I'm, I support 100% people having the right to be female. I just don't think it's fair that they compete against other women. It doesn't mean I don't think that they should be allowed to transition to being female. 
No, absolutely. And if you, if it makes you happy, marvelous. Do it. If it affects other people negatively, then that's when obviously people have an issue. Uh, Laurel Hubbard was another one, a uh, transgender uh, New Zealand uh, Kiwi um, weightlifter. And she competed um, in the Olympics, didn't do too well, unfortunately, must have had an off day. Um, but the benefits there are just astronomical from her time period as a man, as a competitive weightlifter as well. And I think it's just got to be disheartening for for young women coming through in any sport, knowing that, and, and you know, I'm being obviously a bit over the top. Like most women in any sport aren't going to come across some massive dude that's going to try and take their head off. It's just not going to happen. But it does happen to some. And I think that's why we should be allowed to speak about it. Uh, from a bodybuilding a person in the bodybuilding community, what was their reaction to Laurel Hubbard? I would say for the most part, people didn't want her to compete. And I made a video and I said, hey, I have to support this woman because she is being told she's allowed to compete. I mean, I would if I were her, I would have competed as well, even though I don't think it's fair. I don't under I can't fault her for doing what's allowed. She's following the rules. If the rules say you can compete with this much testosterone, which is way more than she should be allowed to have. It's not her fault. So she's going by the rules. She's saying I'm competing. I'm allowed. Don't think it was fair. And she bombed out, didn't do well, but she certainly had a huge advantage, not only from being male, but be being able allowed to have higher testosterone levels, even while competing than the average female, much higher, obviously going to give a huge advantage. I mean, when I, when I just a quick, quick note, when I, I stopped taking my HRT for, I think it was nine weeks and I got my testosterone levels checked. I was lower than that. That girl was that Laurel Hubbard lower. My test lowers were lower than hers. So think if I was like that in two years, I could have competed in weightlifting and I still felt quite strong. Even with lower testosterone levels, I'm still stronger than most women. Wow. So, so how, how much did it dip from where you sit when you're, when you're on your, your therapy to the position where it's appropriate for you to compete against or for a transgender person rather to compete against women. How, how much does that dip? Do you know? When in the lowest I've ever had my testosterone tested at is just under 50 nanograms per deciliter. And at right now it was 730 normal for a guy somewhere between 250 and say a thousand. So I'm pretty much always in that normal range unless I'm off, then I'm far below, but as a woman, 50, 40, that's still high. It's still great. Do you know what I mean? So if you're even at 40, like crushed testosterone levels for me, it's still pretty good. Wow. And that's something that I've, I've mentioned in the video. I didn't really know that, you know, you could dip that far um, or have that range rather between a lot of different men sitting at 250 up to 750, wherever they happen to be. There's a massive range. And so... If you're competing as a female bodybuilder, as a, as, a, as a former man, is there a way to drop your testosterone? I know obviously you can find ways to hide steroids in urine testing or blood testing. Is there a way to drop testosterone or free testosterone flowing around the body? Is that is that some type of science in the bodybuilding community? I know that's obviously a very strange question, seeing how you having as much test in, in your system is not a problem. But for someone like that, would, do you think there would be a way to hide that from testing? 
Well, I don't know about hiding it per se, but like if you're a woman transitioning to men, they're going to give you male hormone. And if you're a man transitioning to woman, they're going to give you female hormone. So your testosterone levels are going to plummet if you transition to female. So you will lose some muscle, but not all of it. And if you go from woman to man, you are going to gain some muscle, but probably not as much as if you had been born male. So why don't we see many people who have been born female and transition to male competing against men? Well, that's exactly it. If, if you compare uh, on any spectrum, you take 100 people. If you take the most, uh, let's take the average male versus the average female. If you take the average female and give them as many steroids as humanly possible. So whatever I took, they might go from being an average looking woman to a medium sized guy. They're not going to look like, like me or Mr. Olympia, anyone huge. But if you take someone like me and give them steroids, you can go from this big to that big. But if you start this big, harder to get as wide. I don't know if that's a good explanation, but it's easier to get a lot bigger if you start big. Yeah, for sure. I, I can imagine. You need the frame. You need the what, – what part does genetics play into this? Do you think that's the big core that people are missing when it comes to – uh, but let's say being a 20-year-old dude who wants to look ripped so he can go out to nightclubs and pick up chicks, is genetics the big point that mi- that's missing for a lot of people? So there's there's several big factors. Genetics is, is a main important factor. If you don't have the genetics, you're, you're not going to do well. So you, if you have really good genetics, then there's other things you need. You have really good genetics. You need to have really good um, effort or mentality or, or training or attitude, just like that. I'm going to go in and kill it. That's another important factor. Then you have, how am I going to respond to a little bit of steroids? Then you have, how am I going to respond to a shitload of steroids? So if you have somebody who has the best genetic, they look amazing, even without trying, they train really hard and they have amazing genetics to use a little bit of steroids. They grow like crazy. And then they take a lot of steroids. They grow even more. That person's going to be Ronnie Coleman, Jay Cutler, the Mr. Olympia. But if you take someone with shitty genetics, horrible, and they train hard and they have like the most intense training they ever do, but they have shitty genetics for steroids altogether, they're not even going to look average. They could take all the steroids in the world, have the best coach in the world, eat perfectly, and not even look like they work out. And I've seen it. I've coached these people. I've coached people that have taken steroids and I've watched them. There is no way you can tell they work out. And they're saying, well, why would they take steroids? I'm like, because you should see them when they weren't taking steroids. They went from being, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, a one to a 40 with the Mm -hmm. steroids, but it's still below average, but it's certainly a lot better. So their goal, their dream physique is just to, I just want to go to the beach, take my shirt off and not have anyone tease me. They're not into, I want to be a bodybuilder and they're on the same steroid cycles that a professional bodybuilder would take, but they don't look anything near that. Wow. That's got to be disheartening, <laughs> especially when you're seeing all these other people. And you, you know, if you watch them on YouTube, and they and there's, and there's a few people who go through their test or uh, their uh, steroid uh, regime, and you're, you know, injecting or whatever you're doing uh, to take that amount, and you're not getting the results, and you're still training your ass off. And and I know that I, I've it must be obviously very disheartening. I, I've had people I put up like a training. Uh, a plan and I'm not a professional by any means I've just this is what I was doing at the time and there was some, a lot of people saying there was far too much um, what's the word I'm missing here um, not frequency doing too many of the one volume the one, too much volume too many sets too much volume in your yeah. weights 
You have to too many me. sets it's, for it's, each body part. Yeah, sure, yeah, no problem. Exactly. And um, a lot of people were saying there's too much volume there. You need to be doing a lot less. A lot of other people were saying no, no, that's the perfect amount. When you're setting up a, a regime. Is it more about what works for you personally? Is it more about the connection with the muscle? Is it more about from a professional to a novice? What what is the perfect way to work out to train? What should I focus okay. on? So we have two very important variables is the volume and the intensity. So as your volume goes up, your intensity has to go down. So if you do one set, it better be a freaking hard set. But if you do 20 sets, None of them better be hard or you're, you're going to be overtrained. So that's the big question. So how much volume you do and how much intensity? So as you do more volume, you train less hard. You train harder, you do less volume. Then you have to consider what is your experience level? So the beginners, they have to do next to nothing. You walk in there and do a bunch of warm-ups and you're going to grow muscle. The body is not used to anything. But if you're more advanced, you're professional, you've been doing it for 10 years, you need to do a shitload because your body's used to it. So what your body needs is progressive overload, which is my slogan is to train harder than last time. You need to go harder than you did. So when you were running, you went harder by going further. You could also go harder by running a bit faster. It doesn't need to be much. Once a week, you could add one minute. And that's progressive overload in a year. That's 52 minutes, or you could run one second faster for your time for say the hour. You could run one second faster every week in a year from now, you're running a full minute faster. So your cardiovascular system is going to get better. The same has to be done in the weight room. So my suggestion start super easy. Just go in there, learn correct form, play with the weights. Don't do anything hard. And then if you're not sore, the next time, then go a little bit harder, maybe one more rep, one more pound, nothing serious. But if you do get sore, go easier than last time. So it's really easy. You go to the gym and you're sore, you're doing your running, you ride over train. If you are always sore, you need to go easier. But if you're never sore, you can go harder. So that's the mix. If you go too hard, you'll feel it. There's a lot of people that probably listen to this that have um, never trained or never had the ability to mentally walk into a gym. So in, in Australia, as I said earlier on, a lot of people are in lockdown. Is there something that you could prescribe to people to do at the moment when it comes to training to prepare themselves for what they or how they could get into the gym with confidence? Okay, sure. The, the thing with confidence is that you have to understand that people that are at the gym are not there to judge you. You would think by looking at me that I'm going to look around and say, look at that fat person. Look at that. They don't know what they're doing. They're so skinny. It's the furthest from the truth. The people that have the most experience, the most training, the ones that you think would judge them the hardest are the ones that are the most inviting that are the most happy to see these people come to the gym. You want to see new people. Like that's my goal in life really is to have more people be involved in physical activity. So when I see new people enter the gym, I don't care if they're 400 pounds, 700 pounds, skinny, no more. It's amazing that they're there. So don't worry about what other people are going to say. And trust me, everyone is more worried about what they themselves look like than anyone else. I don't care if it's some kind of gym shark model that looks amazing. That person is probably more nervous about how they look when they're in the gym than the person who walked in on the first day because they're thinking my body fat's nine percent now it was eight percent last week oh my goodness I, i'm a little chubby my tan is all 
I'm not pumped up yet. I can't take my sweater off until halfway through my workout because my veins aren't popping. That's literally what they're thinking. You're just thinking, I don't want to embarrass myself. They're thinking anyone that sees me right now is going to think I'm not strong as I look or that I'm on steroids or I'm grunting. Like, so no matter how much experience you have, it, it doesn't get better. It's however you feel on that first day as intimidated you are, people aren't going to look at you and judge you. And after five years, you're still going to be the same worry. It's like, eh, it, it bothers exactly. you or it doesn't just don't yeah. care about what people think. And you can't. And I mean, I was um, to give you an example. I was in the gym uh, doing deadlifts and I was deadlifting, not an amazing amount of weight. And this massive dude comes up to me next to me and he's doing 350, whatever. Like just all the plates. Like there's no 20 kilo plates anymore. They're all on old mate's bar. And he's just pulling this enormous amount of weight. And it, it can kill your confidence, but you just have to realize that everyone's on a different um, progression and everyone's on a different sort of plane going through not only life, but through their training uh, as well. But I, I think it's a great message because I, I, I worry that a lot of people are running down the rabbit hole of um, accepting the way that their body looks, particularly when, not even their body looks, but their health, um, when it comes to being overweight. And we see it with the body positive body positivity movement and the fat acceptance movement. We're seeing it constantly um, shown to a lot of children uh, through TikTok and through Instagram. I know you've been outspoken about it, as of I. You get called, not necessarily you, but you get called if you speak out about it as someone who hates fat people. Um, how, how do you deal with basically having these things and I'm not sure if you've got young people in your life but coming across in front of children's eyes and this is the main audience of TikTok saying that hey if you're overweight that's okay embrace it keep eating eat whatever you want it doesn't matter you don't have to train if you train that's fat phobic yada 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 I'm not even making this up this is a true story I literally have a niece that went up to her mom and said am I too skinny because right. all her friends are overweight, they're, they're, they're chubbier. Am I too skinny, mom? Should I be eating more? Because I, she's at a healthy weight. She's very active, super healthy. But because the friends are heavier and the mannequins at the store are heavier and fat acceptance, it's like, love your body. So now people are like, am I not heavy enough? And so it's really gotten to that extreme because when I was a kid, it would have been the 100% opposite. So there's got to be a balance here. I'm all for fat acceptance to love your body. But for me, it's love your body enough to care enough about it to go and exercise and to do the best you can. And it's not about being perfect. It's about being the best that you can be. Not everyone can have a six pack. But everyone can be healthier than they are, than they are. Not everyone has like, not everyone can be, you know, 200 pounds or 400 pounds. It's not about being ripped, losing 200, try losing half of it first, lose a hundred. So I, I, I'm for the movement of fat acceptance as in love your body and what's on the outside doesn't matter, but you need to still exercise. I mean, it's not to just say, well, love yourself. So I'm just going to sit on my ass and eat chips all day. I just, I just don't understand how that people want to do that. You know, if you want to do that, fine, but don't be like promoting it to other people as the way to be. People love the path of least resistance. And any time that a human being is given the ability to just basically take the foot off the pedal and relax, they will. 
and I, I mean and we're all like that at some ex- to some extent with with whether it's work or family or whatever some of us won't put in 100% all the time and perhaps we can't always put in 100% of the time you will burn out but I think giving humans the ability to just give up is just so terrible it's going to end just awfully for a lot of people. And we already talk about, I know in America, I, th- I think it's an, an astronomical number of people who are overweight, obese, and are going to find themselves in an early grave. I think it's well, or very close to 50%. Um, but it, it's dangerous, man. And it's going to end just awfully for a lot of these young kids. I, I This is what I love about contact sports. And I love about, that's very cute. That is amazing. Well done. <laughs> it's baby naked. <laughs> Hey, Love baby Nicky. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are falling into the trap of of not going through something difficult. That's why I love contact sports, going through the the hard times in the head in your head. It's the same with you doing uh, triathlons on a long run or bike ride or a swim or whatever. That that head noise, if you don't know how to control it, or if you don't know how to push past it, if you never learn that, you're gonna be on you're destined for a, a tough life, and I think that's where people talk about. Are you listening to me disgusting. on double speed? That is awful. Me on double speed is so much worse than I could imagine. <laughs> that's how I listen to everybody. I listen to myself on double speed. I'm. A, I can't even listen to normal conversation. I'm watching a movie with my girlfriend. I'm like, can I speed this up? Like, get on it's with it. Like, slack. come on. Like, I'm so used to this fast. Oh, it's funny. My, my girlfriend, she heard you on double speed and she's like, man, that is annoying. But then I put it on normal and she started laughing. She was loving what you're saying. She's just like, she's across from me listening to you just like eating supper and she's laughing. It was hilarious. <laughs> Get <up>. Good jokes. <laughs> uh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I, um, <laughs> my, my, my point being mentally, you know, the ability to get through the head noise as it's referred to sometimes, all that. Um, I guess when you're when you're running, and I, I assume you're doing big big numbers, being uh, a professional in in what you're doing. Do you? How do you battle that head noise? Because I I've always had this thing where a kilometer in, my body well my head rather is just going. You can stop. You got to stop now. You can't do this. We won't be able to do this. How do you fight that head noise? Now, personally, I think I have very strong opinions. Of this. Remember when I was talking about 25% genetics and 25% how hard can you push yourself? I truly believe that that, that head space where you can push yourself to go into that pain zone, I think that's a genetic thing. I think you can work on it. I think you can improve it. I think you can you know, do the best you can, but it's something inside of you. And for me, it was always, I love this. I want to push myself to my limit. I've done 59 bodybuilding competitions, dieting down to under 5% body fat. That is a friggin' challenge. It's hard doing triathlons, winning sprints, racing. It is hard. You have to go somewhere where most people can't go. And for me, I love that. Not everyone likes that. My girlfriend, she is super athletic. She was athlete of the year, all these, you know, in school, super talented. She hates cardio. She just doesn't like it. Is we'll go for a bike ride as soon as anything hard happens. I is I'm tired. And I'm like, I know she can push harder, but she doesn't want it. 
but she's got the skills of basketball and badminton, all the sports, but like to push that cardio when you're running, biking, swimming, and you, and you want to stop, that's something that's mental. It's like, you just have to want that. And if you don't have it, you don't need to compete and you actually don't need to go that hard to reap the rewards of cardio. No one has to go that hard. I don't preach to do hit cardio, just steady state, moderate pace, what's comfortable for you, whatever pace is, if you want to jog as slow as possible, that's still amazing. You don't have to go into that zone of, oh my goodness, the torture. It's not needed. It is if you're an athlete, you want to be the best of the world, but just to reap its benefits, the health benefits, you can just go through the motions and you will in fact improve. It's funny what you say about um, you don't have to push yourself that hard as um, with heat cardio, that type of thing. I was watching Nick Bear, uh, him talking about running and because for some reason whenever i find something new like running or whatever i just i go balls deep because i'm a psycho and he was just saying you know today why don't we do you know for he was doing like five eight hundred meters or whatever he was doing and i said okay i'll do three and i think uh, i had the old apple watch on i might have burnt 250 300 calories and i couldn't have run another step after three 800 meter runs but yeah over a steady state of an hour as to what you're saying about whether you can just walk that time period and actually burn burn quite a few calories and get yourself breathing and moving throughout the world of the world, I only burnt maybe 300 calories and I was dead the next day, sore as and couldn't train that type of stuff or couldn't continue my run the next day. And I thought to myself, maybe my go is this longer form steady state because I find myself, and I don't know if you're the same when you're running, maybe we have different mindsets. You're very much let's go, you know, this is this is what you do. I find myself sometimes running, typing on my phone because I I have so so many clear ideas that come out of the ether that just appear in front of me, whether it's video ideas or I'm writing a book at the moment and it's, you know, it's a chapter idea or, or whatever. Um, there's something that happens with your body that just, it makes everything so clear when you're going through this steady state or flow state, if you will, with exercise. That's so, it's so interesting that you bring that up because when I'm doing cardio and if I'm going all out, all I'm thinking of is the pain that I'm experiencing. I don't have any thoughts or clear, nothing great is happening other than how am I going to get through this? But when I'm doing steady state, like today's bike ride I had, the entire time my brain is thinking about things, it's piecing things together. I'm thinking about life, the world. It sounds silly, but it's literally, it's a peaceful time and it's a huge stress relief. And you come back and I'm like, Wow, I feel so good right now. The weather's nice and you get out and you do your cardio and it allows you to think and and it's almost like meditation. So people do yoga and whatnot, just steady state skate cardio. You got to do something and your brain just, it just thinks it goes its own way. And I, I feel I do the exact same thing. Uh, on a side note, you're way better off doing steady state cardio than hit cardio burn fat. You're more, more calories during steady state than hit, but people don't believe that. But the truth is we do hit, it's very hard for say 30 seconds running then you're walking, then you're running, then you're walking. You're better off just jogging the whole time and not being sore as you are the next time, the next day and doing that over and over again. This hit cardio and trying to lift weights at the same time, that's where you're going to burn out. You're going to overtrain. The body has to repair the muscle damage from the sprints. But if you're just taking your time, it's so much easier to recover from the muscle damage and then do the cardio at the same time and the weights and, and you're all set. So be careful if you're doing hit cardio. It's definitely going to make it harder to recover and repair, build muscle, and it's not burning more calories. I'll um I'll let you go because it's getting late where you are. 
Um, if you could give us a rundown of your cookbook for a lot of a lot, a lot of people out there when they they change diets, they are concerned about, hey, I'm going to be hungry, man. You know, I don't want to be. I, I can't trust myself when I'm hungry. That's my issue. I snack. I'm a snack man. I I, I can work hard all day and forget about. Um, you know, eating and that type of stuff. When I go upstairs and I sit down with, with, with my partner and we watch telly, it's a dangerous time. What can you offer with your book for people like me who can't trust themselves and just love eating? If there's one thing I know in this world, it's how to lose weight. This is the thing I know the most. And the number one reason diets fail is hunger. It's not willpower. It's not I crave a hamburger. It's not I want a pizza. It's hunger. If you're hungry, eventually your willpower, it's going to run out. So the key is to eat foods that keep you from being hungry. So when I developed this cookbook, which took decades, I've been dieting since I was in high school doing bodybuilding competitions and I would rebound and I'd be starving and I'd be like, I can't do this. I needed to find a diet that would work and work forever. And so by eating lower calorie dense food, so whatever food you're eating, say it's pizza, if it's got 800 calories in it, make it better, but only have 600 calories. If you're eating ice cream, thousand calories, make it have 400 calories and taste almost as good. It's not going to be as good every time. Sometimes it is, but for the most part, it's usually almost as good. You eat these foods, you can eat more of it. The more of it, your stomach is more full and for less calories, you're satisfied. And so the thing is, you're not hungry on this diet. People that are hungry when they're dieting, I already know it's over. If you sell me, I'm on a diet and I'm hungry. I'm like, you might get to your goal. And then as soon as it's over, the wedding, the beach trip, it's over, you're gaining it all back. When I get people on a diet, are you hungry? Yes. Well, we need to switch something. You need to eat more of this recipe and that recipe, had more snacks because you don't need to starve yourself to lose weight. You do if you want to be 5% body fat, Mr. Olympia bodybuilder, but just to be somewhere in the middle, like halfway to your dream physique, the cookbook is enough to do that. Can't get you perfect, but it'll get you halfway there. Now, where, can, where can people find this cookbook? Just go to my website, gregduset.com. That's the, that's the easiest way. I have a Beautiful. website. I sell cookbooks, training plans, all kinds of stuff. You can follow me on my Instagram, Greg Doucet, IFBB Pro. I'm on TikTok, YouTube. I mean, every second video, I, I would say every video, I say I have a cookbook in it at some point. So if you follow my YouTube channel, you'll see me talking about fat loss, diet, cardio training, PDs, everything on there. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Doucet, absolute legend. Thank you for taking the time, brother. I appreciate it. Super happy to be here. It was great chatting with you. Good on you, brother. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.